Last week we were in Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you remember that. And we talked about life being vanity and a chasing after the wind and how we were made for eternity. We have a desire to be known and remembered, to have a purpose, meaning, etc. And that apart from Easter, life would be vanity, a chasing after the wind. We looked at Ecclesiastes 13, which doesn't exist in the Bible, but could have if Solomon had heard and believed in the Easter story. Today is Palm Sunday, and traditionally I'm supposed to do something with the triumphal entry. And I would have in years past, in one of my favorite sermons, which I'm sure I will retweak another year, if you'll remember the donkey sermon. You guys remember that? It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, but today we're not going to be in that text. Today we're going to be in Ezekiel. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37, which is a standard Easter text, Right? Hello? Class? Anyone? 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 It's the story of the valley of the dry bones, and I have never heard this preached as an Easter sermon. So it's either sheer delirium, or maybe God is going to show us something today. Before we get into it, I have, uh, I have had numerous people in a variety of settings tell me that they just don't like to share their faith. I've had people um, who have come to this church, who've left this church with an explicit explanation, not angrily, of... I feel like you just push us too hard to share our faith, and I'm just really not that into sharing my faith. I'm okay if that's the reason you want to go, um, because it's not me who's pushing you to do it. It's God who's commanding us to. I think the catch is we think that it's a burden that we have to do to be right with God, and we don't fully understand the grace that we've been given and delight in doing it. And what I hope in today's passage is we get a fuller glimpse of it's not about you have to share your faith. It's about the gift that you have a faith to share so that others might come to believe too. And that's what Easter really is all about. It's about unmerited, unbelievable, amazing grace given to us for no reason whatsoever. You ever hear someone ask the question, well, why should I believe in Jesus? That's the absolute wrong question. Or I can't believe that God would make only one way for people to go to heaven. Again, it's an absolute wrong question. See, what's unbelievable is that God actually made a way for people to go to heaven. And why should you believe in Jesus? Because Jesus is the king. He is the only God, and there is none like him. And when you see what God did for you, it should blow your minds more fully, time after time. So today we're in Ezekiel. And rather than just jump into the text, let me set the stage. Because not everyone knows who Ezekiel is and, and what these... Um, 40-some-odd chapters are all about. I'm sure most of you have memorized the bulk of the book, but just in case. Ezekiel was a prophet. He was a married man. He had no children. And he lived during the time of the Babylonian captivity. It's 597 B.C. So he lived about 600 years before Jesus um, came and dwelt among us. Babylonian captivity. See, the Israelites, you all know, were a chosen people who lived in a, a land-based covenant with God. And they had this little problem with apostasy and disobedience. See, it's not new to our times. That God told them, this is what you will do. They said, okay, they didn't do it, and then they faced punishment. And God would forgive them, and you go through this cycle of disobedience, punishment, and restoration. This is not an endless cycle. There's an end when God no longer gives you a second chance. But with the Israelites, they were really, really, really bad, and they had a bunch of bad kings through the northern and the southern tribes, and we're looking at Judah here. 
And Judah had a series of bad kings. And with bad kings, the people's faith suffers. With bad leadership, the faith of people suffers. And when it came to 597 B.C., God sent the Babylonians to take the people of Judah into captivity. So the king came in, and he took the brightest and the best of the people from Judah with him to Babylon and left a remnant, basically the, the losers, people who were no good. And the king of the time was Jehoiakim. He was an 18-year-old king, and he went to Babylon. And his uncle Zedekiah was set up as a puppet king under the Babylonian king's authority back in Judah with a remnant of the people. Uh, Ezekiel went with those in, in captivity into Babylon. Okay, so you have some idea of who he is and when this is going on and stuff. Whenever you have a time of crisis in the Old Testament times, God would usually send a prophet to preach his message of, of, of repentance and call the people to obedience in him. To call them to repent, forgive them, and he would restore them. Okay? And Ezekiel was a prophet at this time who was called to declare that message. Now, you might think these folks in captivity in Babylon were just dying to hear this message, but they weren't. They were a stiff-necked, stubborn, deaf people, spiritually speaking. So Ezekiel is declaring this message to an audience that wants nothing to do with it. Maybe you can relate if you ever tried to share the gospel with people. They just didn't care. They were indifferent, and they were apathetic. So what did Ezekiel do? He realized he couldn't make them believe, but he could speak with confidence, certainty, and walk in obedience. And as he did that, he couldn't make the people believe in him, but he could certainly make the people pay attention to what he said. Think about how that would apply to our lives. Think about if we told people the truth of who Christ was and what he did, and we walked in complete humble obedience to that truth, they might not believe us, but they'd look at us like, well, you know what? Your, your walk is backed by your talk. Maybe there's something to that. Well, that's what Ezekiel did. And in 48 chapters, we have the book of Ezekiel. And it is a book of visions and prophecies, just a few visions and a, a few prophecies. And if you would spend the time in that book, you would be humbled, shocked, comforted, and amazed. We're not going to do all 48 chapters today. We're going to take 14 verses. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37. I should probably turn there. I'm going to read it. Ezekiel chapter 37, the first 14 verses. As I said, this is, a, this is a vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Anybody familiar with that? Hopefully you will be after today. <clears throat> Before we get into it, let me pray. Father, as we go into your word, I pray that we might hear you speak. That we would understand these are not just words cleverly written down in smoky rooms a long time ago. But this is what you desire to communicate to us for all time. So that we might not just know there is a God but know who that God is. Father, please quiet our minds and, and soften our hearts that we might hear from you today through your word. Holy Spirit, please minister to us and teach us. I pray that you would empower me to speak your truth and that you would help all of us uh, hear what you have to say and come to know you more fully as a result. Amen. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, me being Ezekiel. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, 
Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over the bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. As I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. All right, so what's going on there? Look at this vision. Ezekiel is a priest. Priests are not allowed to make contact with dead people. So God, in a vision, takes this priest prophet Ezekiel and sticks him in a valley of dry bones. What's a valley of dry bones? It is basically disgusting. Imagine a a battle scene. You ever read Civil War history? Hopefully you have. And the magnitude of death that took place in short periods of time. Imagine bodies laid out for such a long time that they had no flesh left on them. Deep and wide in a valley. There was a lot of death that took place here, and this priest is walking amongst the dead. And it says that they were very dry bones. What does that mean, very dry bones? They were there a long time. They were picked clean, they were baked under the sun, they were completely dried out. There's a lot of death, and it's old death. These people have been here for a long time. Now, we might miss a little bit of what's going on there from a variety of reasons, from desensitization from the news to not interacting with the dead in our culture. We kind of push people off to die and supposed to have them die in our homes. And that's not a bad thing. I'm glad that we have hospitals and hospice and things like that. But we don't fully understand what's going on here. To, to die in the open and be unburied was a curse. Now, in case you think I'm making that up, you could look in Deuteronomy 28, verse 25 to 26. And look at what God promises to the people will happen for disobedience. They will be left out. It was the worst thing you could do to someone when they died was to just leave them unburied and out in the open. It It was a curse. It was a condemnation. And what you have here is, as we see clearly God refers to these bones as representing Israel in verse 11, is a representation of divine judgment on a people living under a curse based off of disobedience. So Elijah is in a valley of dry bones that are cursed that got killed. And then God asks him this question. 
can these bones live? Now, isn't that a stupid question? Uh, no. Isn't that, wouldn't no be the right answer? But what does Ezekiel say? He says, only you know. Isn't that an awesome answer? Now, Ezekiel would have known history. He would have known there were times when God took dead people and brought them back to life. And God did it again, you know, with Lazarus. And, oh yeah, something about Jesus, too, at Easter. But never had there been a very dry bone come back to life. Put it in perspective. God says to you, go to a cemetery. Find somebody that died in the 1800s. Walk on top of their coffin and share the gospel. Anybody going? It would be pointless, wouldn't it? Or would it if God told you to? So Ezekiel doesn't say, no, they can't live. He says, only you know. And then God says to him, prophesy to these bones. Basically, Old Testament equivalent of share the gospel. So Ezekiel says, <laughs> no. He says, so I prophesied. And he spoke God's word to these bones, and they started to rattle. So imagine you're in the cemetery, and you're standing over someone dead in 1880. Old Joe Farmer was a good old man, you know, and you're standing over, and you're just like, Joe, let me tell you a story about a long time ago, when there was a man born of a virgin who was fully God, and you, you just share the gospel with him, unrushed and unhurried and uninterrupted, and all of a sudden you, you get to the part of, and when they arrived the next day, the stone was rolled aside, and the tomb was empty. And someone declared to them, he is risen. And all of a sudden you hear those bones in the coffin start to rattle. be a little freaky, wouldn't it? Well, Ezekiel did that, and, and he started to hear a rattle. And the bones snapped together. Now, these priests, if you'll remember, they, they were part of the sacrificial system, so they were good at filleting out dead things. He was watching the dead go in reverse. End product becomes beginning product. Bones snap, sinews attach, muscles, skin. All of a sudden, he has a fully built body, but it's not alive yet. Because he has to prophesy and call the wind, Hebrew word ruah, spirit, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, to come upon and breathe into these bodies. Remember back in Genesis, God formed Adam from the dust, and he put the whole stinking guy together, and then he breathed life into him. It wasn't until the that he had a living human being. Ezekiel prophesies, and the bones rattle, they come back together, and breath is drawn into them, and they are given life. And then after this happens, God explains what's going on. He explains that these bones represent Israel, and he's doing something here. And it's pretty amazing when you see what it is and what the promise is. But notice, Ezekiel's job was simply to proclaim the word of God, and the word of God brought life to death. Isn't that what we're called to today? To go out and proclaim the word of God in the land of the dead, and it's the word of God that will bring life. Now, if you were called to bring dead bones back to life, you could go Frankenstein style. Those weren't bones at the time. But you know, do you know that story, uh, long week I said, who wrote the stinking book, Frankenstein? 
it has its basis in a dead body that was electrified. Doctors were trying to bring dead people back to life. And what happened was they, they attached electrodes to this body. And they and the electricity hit, and this dead body <gasps> sat up. Actually, air drew in, eyes popped open, mouth opened, and it freaked people out. I believe someone actually died in that room from a heart attack because they thought a dead person had come back to life. And it spurred this whole story eventually. The body didn't come back to life. It was electricity interacting with bones and stuff, okay? Often, we try to bring dead people back to life through a variety of mechanisms that might, for a second, look like they work. But then it doesn't work. You see, the only way dead people come back to life is by hearing the word of God proclaimed. And what I see here in this valley of dry bones and the word of God spoken is Easter. Don't you see it? Don't you see that, that what is really happening here in its, in its initial context is God saying to the Israelites, you are a people under a curse. You have disobeyed me. You are a valley of dry bones. You are dead, spiritually dead. And there's nothing you can do. But for my sake, we'll look at that in a second in, in chapter 36. For my sake, Ezekiel, tell them that I will raise them and I will restore them. It will be for my glory based on my love for them. And that's what happened. God restored the Israelites to their land-based covenant to be a people unto himself. But that wasn't what this was all about. This whole thing pointed forward about 600 years to another valley of dry bones, another resurrection, and another people who would be restored unto God as his people for his glory. This points so clearly to Easter Sunday. But until we understand what the dry bones were, we never get this. Spiritual death. So if you went to a medical school, they have those cadavers in there. If you didn't have to do cadavers, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be a doctor. But you've got to do that apparently to get through. So I thank God for putting that in there. Go up to a dead body and scream at it. Ah! You know what they do? Throw cold water on them. You know what they do? Stick them with a knife. You know what they do? Nothing. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Yes, physical death entered into creation with sin, but spiritual death arrived as well. You see, apart from Christ, we were all spiritually dead. We were dry bones. Think of the extent to which that goes. It's not like we were just bad people. We were dead people. When God spoke, we would be unable to hear. A, spirit, a physically dead person cannot respond to, to sense, feel, or, or any type of stimulus. They, they have no response to it. A spiritually dead people, it's the same thing. They, they cannot sense, feel, or respond to God. Not at all. They are laying there dead. You can do all you want. As a person, you can walk up to them and tell them whatever you want. You can communicate the truth to them clearly. They cannot respond to it because they are spiritually dead. Our job isn't to go out and to make people believe in Jesus because we can't. No matter how fun, how cool, how attractive, how wonderful, how well-spoken the presentation is, you can't do it because they were, they're dead. And so were we. But while we were dead, think of what God did. He rattled our bones. He took a dead, despicable, sinful, corrupt, wicked people who had sinned against him, who lived in open rebellion against him, and he 
not just spoke his word to us. Remember way back when we did the Gospel of John, John 1, 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ezekiel spoke the word of God in the valley of the dry bones, and the bones rattled. God became flesh and dwelt among us to reveal himself to us, what he was going to do for us, and to let all of us know who we were, what we could become, and what that meant. Understand that, that this is a vision of who we were. When you stop and think that I was dead in a box, in a valley of dry bones, separated from God for all of eternity, and it wasn't about me just choosing to follow Jesus. Oh, God, I was a really, really, really bad person. I'm so sorry for being really, really, really bad. Will you forgive me and help me be a really, really good person? No. God, I was really, really dead. I don't want to be dead. But I know there's nothing I can do to not be dead except for Easter Sunday. Except for the fact that the wrath that was due me had to be taken upon someone and a righteousness that I could never attain had to be put upon me. You see, Jesus had to live a perfect life because that's a requirement for keeping God's covenant, his command. You have to live perfectly. You have to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And guess what? Through Christ you are. But apart from Christ, you can never be. The wrath of God had to be taken upon someone who was a person. Jesus had to be fully God. He had to be fully mad to man to take the wrath and to live in perfect obedience. And apart from that, we could never be right with God. And why did he come? Because you are so good that God really, really wanted you to be able to spend forever with him. Or he'd be really sad. No. You are, stop and get this right. Each and every person here is so incredibly important, it's beyond your ability to comprehend. You are far more significant, far more important, far more loved, and far more valuable than you can ever, ever, ever comprehend. But you ain't God. You are not the most important thing in creation. But you are far more important than you realize. Stop and think. Put that into perspective. God didn't die for you because he needed you. God died for you because he loved you with a love you can't fully comprehend, but because you needed him. You see, Jesus died to save you for his glory, not for yours. Jesus didn't say, I come because I want to give you everything you want so that you'll be happy and you'll be my friend. No, Jesus came because you were dead and there was nothing you could do about it, but he loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, he died for you to restore you to a position that you were made for. That's why Colossians 3.1 talks about we were raised with Christ. Well, to be raised, you had to be dead. Easter is about, yes, Christ dying and rising from the dead. But Easter is also about you being dead and being raised with Christ. You see, Jesus wasn't the only one who rose on Easter Sunday. Everyone who would believe in Christ from that time past to that time future rose with Christ in a spiritual sense on Easter Sunday. It is when death was defeated. Now, we still physically die unless Jesus comes back first. But death is not the end of our story, is it? The end of the story is eternity after death. And you spend it in one of two places, in the land of the dry bones, and it's not quiet and peaceful like a cemetery. It's where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal torment. You can't understand how bad the, the, the physical aspect of hell is, and that pales in comparison from the eternal separation from the love and grace and mercy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
or your bones rattle for God's glory. And you're risen from the dead too. And you get to spend eternity with God. Look here at Ezekiel 36. Flip back one one spec here to verse 26. God says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And down in verse 32, he says, It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. In verse 36, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. When you read 26 and 27, so clearly God's talking about giving us a receptive heart, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I will put my spirit upon you. At this time, Ezekiel and his hearers could not have fully understood the Holy Spirit would dwell within them. But that's so clearly what he's talking about in here. And I will put my spirit within you, and, and listen to this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Back to where I started here. You don't share your faith to be right with God. You share your faith because you have it. You don't walk in obedience to be right with God. You walk in obedience because you're right with God. The question logically follows, then why don't I share my faith all the time? Why don't I walk in perfect obedience all the time? Take heart. Nobody does it perfectly. Because we still live in a land of corruption. We still live in the land of sin. We still dwell in the valley of dry bones. But we walk amongst them. And there are times when we just want to lay down and act like dry bones. Imagine that. Imagine dry bones restored to a body, life breathed in them, and they're walking around the valley of the dead, and you just see these people keep laying down and holding still. And what are you doing? I'm just laying here. It's comfortable to act dead. That would be obscene, wouldn't it? Get up! You're alive! But it's cozy down here. I like hanging out with dead bones. Get up! You're alive! Keep moving. Look where you can go. Look what you can do. Look who you are. Get up! No breathing, living person lays down that long. But for a time, they keep laying down, and we keep encouraging one another and building one another up and saying, take my hand and get up. Let me show you walk with me. And we follow our good shepherd as we walk through the valley of dry bones. It's unbelievable what happened here. But it's for God's glory to reveal who God is to all people. Jesus on Easter Sunday, is the culmination of Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. It is God creating a new heart in us. It is God's Spirit dwelling in us. On Pentecost, that's when it started, when the Holy Spirit came, when Jesus ascended. You remember way back there in Acts. And now every time someone believes, the Holy Spirit immediately comes upon them, and it's for His glory, so that we might reveal Him to all people. Jesus didn't die so that we could be happy on this earth. Jesus died so that we could come to life on this earth and as a living body declare the word of God in the valley of dry bones and see what might happen. Now understand this. Sharing your faith is the equivalent to preaching to a dead body in a box that died in 1880. It is utterly and completely impossible. You don't go to your neighbor's house. Listen, I have to tell you something. Because it doesn't usually work that way. It starts like Patty was talking about. God, I'm going over to my neighbors. Or you not even have plans. God, I have neighbors. God says, thank you for telling me that. I was unaware. God, I have neighbors. And I have a feeling that some of those houses are full of dry, dead bones. 
And I know that you sent your son so that dry bones could have life. And I praise you and thank you and, and am amazed that you gave me life. And I pray that I would use this mouth that you built and these lungs that you stuck in me and the vocal cords that you constructed so precisely to be used for your glory and to, excuse me, I got woozy, to, to declare your good deeds, to declare your love to the lost. And then you know what happens? Your neighbors ask questions. Your coworkers say, why do you believe what you do? Your, your opportunities when you go out amongst the town blow your mind. Because that's what Easter is all about. Jesus Christ has risen today. Yeah, but you know why? For three reasons, I think. Well, heck, it's got to be more than three, but three from today. To rattle your bones. You like California or California girl. You're used to bones rattling out there at earthquake time, right? There was a big earthquake that happened when Jesus rose, yeah? There was a bigger one that happened when people came to life. Your bones rattled. The sinews came on the flesh, the skin. He came to rattle your bones, to give you life. He came because he loved you beyond your ability to comprehend. And he came because he commissioned you to speak his life-giving word in the valley of the dead bones. You see, that's what Easter's all about. It's not about bonnets and dresses and bunnies. They're fine. But let's remember what it's all about. It's about dead bones rattling to come back to life for God's glory and your good. Easter makes no sense until you understand what you were, who you've become, and why. So, do anyone here struggle with sharing their faith? Don't we all? Do you know why we struggle with it? Because we struggle with understanding grace. Does anyone struggle with walking in obedience to God? Do you know why we struggle with it? Because we rely too much on ourselves and we fail to understand grace. Does anyone here fail to understand who Christ is and why he died for them? Perhaps, and you know why? Because apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. And if you have an inkling of, God, I want to know who you are, you ask God, please reveal yourself to me. Because God says, seek me while I may be found. And if you seek him, your bones rattle. The sinews come on. The flesh goes on top. And all of a sudden you'll feel, oh, you can breathe. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. But as, as living people now, we need to walk in obedience so we can live more fully, breathe more deeply, and preach more boldly the awesome truth of what happened on Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the vision that you entrusted to Ezekiel. I thank you for Ezekiel's faithfulness to proclaim your truth. I thank you for the, the love that you've shown. God, it's how does one celebrate Easter? It's, it's impossible. How does one celebrate the fact that you loved us so much, that you came and dwelt among us and died for us? How? It's not a day to be celebrated once a year. It's a it's something to be celebrated every moment of every day. And I pray you would help us. I pray that you would help us celebrate it more fully, understand it more fully, and live out in obedience to it more faithfully. God, you tell us, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God, if we were once dead bones that you brought back to life at the cost of your very own son, why do we fear that you might let us down? God, you tell us to go out and proclaim the good news to all the nations, to make disciples using your word and your power. Why do we feel like that won't work? God, help us to know you better. 
Help us to understand your love for us more fully. Help us to realize who we were, who we've become, and what we are becoming. God, every single one of us in this room likes to lay down with the dead bones in different ways and at different times. God, I pray you would disgust us with sin as you are and give us a joy in in your love and your obedience. Help us to be unable to lay down with the bones because we are not made for that. Equip us to walk in newness of life, which we have been made for as we follow our good shepherd. Our good shepherd who died on the cross, who was buried in the tomb, and who rose from the dead, and through whom we are risen as well, as we have passed from eternal death to eternal life. Father, I pray we would be the people that you've made us to be, that we would know the God who truly is, and that we would walk in obedience and have the joy that you desire as we focus on eternity in your perfect presence, in a sinless state of eternal joy, with all that you have called on to yourself. I pray that our mouths might be used to populate heaven more fully through your strength and your power for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.